Welcome to the Level Design Podcast with Scott Zern, professional engineer with over three decades of experience and founder of Level Design Partners, a for-benefit company striving to bring prosperity to the design professional. Check out what they're up to at leveldesignpartners.com. This podcast will be exploring the ins and outs of the design industry, bringing new thinking to outdated systems, and aiming to restore value and honor to the unique people who choose to be designers, engineers, and architects. We'll be discussing how you can thrive in this industry by creating more freedom, flexibility, and financial security as a design professional, regardless of your current situation. All right, Mr. Murray McBride, good morning. Good morning, Scott. How's Murray? How's Murray? How's Murray? I'm very well, thank you. Good night's sleep. A a commute from Castle Rock to Longmont, which was interrupted by some... Lacking of highway infrastructure, however. Transportation <laughs> problems this morning. Got here safe and sound. That's the main oh, thing. Beautiful cool. Colorado day. What are you doing in a car? Why don't you just take a, a fast track right to this building? Oh, we would if there was one. There was one. <laughs> oh, it, lacks, it lacks that ability. It, it was fine. Just a beautiful day, though. So yeah, it's beautiful in Colorado. I woke up to my Malamutes fighting with each other on the mountain. I don't know what's going on with them. I think it's spring. But we are going to talk about a number of things today. We're we, gonna, we are. We're going to talk about how the company's going, some current events, a little bit of history. 1600 to 1610 infrastructure in the Americas. Yeah. Yes. What was sort of evolving at that point in time. Huge, 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 huge 100 years. 1600 to the year 1700. In our next 10 podcasts or so, we're going to break it down to 10-year increments. Mm-hmm. Uh, the reason we're doing that is because a lot happens in this 100 years in this country. Yeah. Really, really big big stuff going on infrastructure-wise. All those technologies from Europe really come to us in uh, the United States in this 100-year period. Yeah, there's a move away from the colonization of the people that are out there exploring and, and sort of finding the way here. And then the opportunities become apparent in Europe and England, and and then the masses start coming towards the Americas. Yeah, there's opportunity. Yeah, and with that opportunity comes all the diversity of people, and then that and all the struggle. Yeah, and And all the struggle. The the struggles, and then there's those that are entrepreneurs that lead the way towards whether it's in in our profession or whether it's in uh, in the arts, whether it's in just building communities, and and bringing over the European culture. To the Americas, it Isn't, didn't didn't change a lot in some respects as to the impacts on the on the indigenous peoples of the Americas. It just had a huge impact on the infrastructure of how this country was starting to be built. Serious struggles of disease and everything with the indigenous peoples uh, is now by the 1600s um, has happened. The last 50 years, many many indigenous people have um, perished in disease and violence. Now they go into uh, really, really 200 years of, of battle with these Europeans. They become nomadic. They start moving around and and really get into almost 200 years of warfare with well, uh, the Europeans. Yes, 1600, there is. A, unfortunately, there was never a period of which there was any form of compromise in many respects. Yeah. It was a, the, the ability of those coming to the, to the Americas to be able to just go out and expand and explore and to grow and to do their thing based on their previous knowledge and their ancestry, which was primarily European. Yeah. And that was, of course, in conflict. Lots of conflict, which human history, 
Let's mm-hmm. talk about, you mentioned a word a minute ago, entrepreneurism. We're going to talk about level, mm-hmm. level design partners and level engineering a little bit this, this morning. Um, a new path of work that we've created for our design community. We've created a new way of thinking. This is a fundamental change. The fundamental change is this is a for benefit. It's a B Corp. Mm-hmm. And we work for the benefit of our design professionals, not the corporations, not the A&E corporations. We work for individual designers. We're bringing on people. We're talking to people all over the country. And it was interesting, again, the same story how much the same story I'm here, no matter no matter what state, I'm talking designer from the West Coast, East Coast, the middle of the country, the South is a similar story. Yes, and with that, we're actively searching for people and presenting this model, and they're excited about it. I've also talked to a number of people recently that are in totally other professions, and the same feelings come up. Whether, yeah. whether you are a graphic designer, right? Whether you're in in real estate, whether you're in in sales or whatever, the present corporate structure is a hindrance to your ability to, to thrive, tr- to survive, and to truly and thrive. Uh, yeah, thrive. Thank you. And yeah. and, tr- and truly develop a wonderful, you know, a, a a good feeling about what you're doing. At times, it's overshadowed by things that are in a corporate structure or elements of a corporate structure that, you know, corporations see that they're necessary now, but that, that evolution hasn't necessarily been, in many ways, needed or respectful of what you're trying to, to sell or to service. And with level... Oh, I'm not sure about that. It's gotten quite efficient at providing providing things cheap to their clients. Yeah, but but it, it has an impact on the people that do that. that yeah, yeah they got that, a very adverse impact. Here. Yes. The corporations are focused on their business people now, and their business people that report to making money. Yes. So the corporate intent or, or drive or importance or the leaders of that corporation are to make a profit. And that's evident whether it's a public company or purely a private company. Well, too. they're full of creators. They're full of problem solvers. What, what, what they're selling, what they're commoditizing is creators, genius creators, creative people, problem solvers. And they're not happy with this. We're just here to make money. I've found it evident that this is very evident in the, the clients I've served over certainly the last couple of months. We're all very busy, which is a wonderful thing for Level and for LDPI. Yeah. and Because we have a different feel. I'm getting a lot of feedback from clients about they're just grateful to have knowledge and input from an engineer, whether it's me or anyone in the Level design team, as to what's going on. And we're truly practicing very hard in this company to learn to listen to our clients. The culture of independence is your free thinking. So what yeah. your what your clients feeling is, oh, I have a design professional, somebody that's going to help me or or teach me or solve my problem or help me create something new for me, which is their intention freely without them going, well, let me go back. I need to check on pricing. I need to I need to make sure that this is something we want to do. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, actually, uh, my services are only limited. You're going to have to find some. It, it, and it just starts to slow down and get cumbersome, and it doesn't feel good for the client anymore. No. So in, in our level independent thinkers, we don't get in the way of that. They're actually independent. We work to help them in business, efficiencies, and collaboration so they can work with others freely. The client feels it. The client they do. It. One of my things I really enjoy is interior design, mm-hmm. and as in like paint or no, just tile colors, functionality, functionality, oh, layout, this type right. of thing. And and we get lots of people, especially with COVID, that are at home thinking, well, if I pull that wall out and do this and do that, you're and that's funny. why we get these calls. You're, you're and f- I have conversed with these with the with their clients. And it's a wonderful feeling. And if I spend another 15 or 30 minutes with a client, you know, obviously if I have time, then that is returned because you're creating goodwill <laughs> with your client. And it's like, in the, it's like in the musical world. For example, yeah. Chris Stapleton's the country singer. He spent years and years writing songs for other artists to sing in that and created so much goodwill that he's getting that in return tenfold over now. That's just an example of creating goodwill in your profession and mm-hmm. in, in your service. Do you and enjoy that? I love it. You, why do you love it? Because the blanket's not on top of my head. I don't have anyone telling me what to do. I'm respectful of the client. I'm respectful of LDPI level. And, and then I can freely go ahead and help that client. Okay. So you're you're actually enjoying helping another human being. Exactly. So. Yeah. I you love know, you, helping it, other people it, it, like that. Well, you, you just struck me, and we need to probably discuss this, is in that, our level design partner model, we don't say what you should and shouldn't be doing. Your history and what you do and your passion is also basically a career of civil engineering, utility, infrastructure. And here you are talking about how much fun you're having planning a remodel in a single-family home. Mm-hmm. LDPI doesn't tell you you shouldn't be doing that. You're free to do that. So you're spending time on civil infrastructure projects and utility projects. At the same time, you're you're also helping somebody with an addition on their home, and mm-hmm. LDPI actually doesn't really care no. that you're having fun with both. Yeah. You always have to have respect for who you're working for and who your client is. So you yeah. you got to give them time. you got to give the business that you're well, you Work for time. Do you think you have to? Well, do you think it, it, the it, it, business it, it, of engineering at a big firm, do they spend a lot of time thinking about how their client's doing? I don't think so in that, in that, in that model because that's never taught. That's not taught from the, the structure or the culture of that model is, doesn't teach those coming into that yeah. corporation or that business uh-huh. that this client – is really, really important. So you need to listen to them. You need to give them options. Find out about your client. Not every client's different. What, we're, what we are seeing today is we got small, medium, and large corporations. What we're seeing is the larger corporations are buying out the medium corporations. And they're, and they're trying to solve this, this issue of competitiveness for projects so they're they're basically purchasing talent but eliminating or reducing management so they can be more competitive. Yeah. 
They're reducing their competition by purchase. And they're doing that. And they're dragging in the people that are, are part and, of that client relationship yeah. team that was for the smaller firm. For or the, the smaller firm, firm bought, yep. But they're not recognizing And they're firing them, aren't they? Either firing them or they're ignoring the relationship that was established in sure. the first place. Sure. 750,000, we've said it before, mm-hmm. semi-retired engineers in this country didn't get a retirement because they got often, and I'm not, it's not absolute, but often they're in this situation today because they got laid off in a merger mm-hmm. or a consolidation, or it was better monetarily for those high salaries to be out of their business model. I call it the human factor. And I remember many years ago, I had a, went to a conference in, out in Boston and there was a young engineer there that had mentioned that. And unfortunately, that is lost a lot of times. From an engineering standpoint, you think, okay, who am I serving? And in a traditional corporate model or a traditional engineering service model, you think, okay, I'm designing a roadway. I'm designing a bridge. I'm designing I a building. Yeah, keep going. They're all physical elements to it. But who are you designing it for? You're designing it for people. And that connection has been ignored in many respects. Or lost. Yeah. Or lost. And what Level does is it brings the ability for the entrepreneur to renew that connection. We were interviewing really quite a brilliant engineer from the Persian Gulf region and he, he worked his way through he lost his father and worked his way through uh engineering and uh really excelled and uh basically got full rides for his graduate. and he's in the u.s working and he is asked that same question i asked my company who we work for and what is our purpose and it's there's no integrity behind it there's no integrity behind it which is causing him to say, I'm not sure about continuing in engineering because there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing really soulful here for me. There's, there's, as a human being, I'm not, I'm not being fulfilled because... He's being told it's the building, just, the bridge, the road, yeah, which has no soul. <laughs> he has no soul, just build a... You know, and he's like, I, it's not good enough for me. And that's, that's what we're talking about at level is... It doesn't have to be that way. Um, we've got a new path for our engineers and architects to work work yeah. together independently. We do the marketing. We do, we do the business side, so it's easy. They're free to do what they enjoy to do and who they want to work for. So yeah. we're hearing it all over. Over 50% of our engineers are quitting. Yeah. But this business of, of engineering and architecture is a business to make money. And, I, heard things, I heard things this last week that contracting overseas engineers for $5 an hour is getting to be the solution for American engineering firms to compete with each other. Yeah. If corporations and firms that choose to run that model and keep compete for each other and go after the so-called big projects or projects out there that they favor in that, because it does take work to look at and say, okay, what's my market? Where's my market? Well, your market is several million homes and homeowners and business owners and districts and municipal clients that all that need engineering on a, a relatively simple model in terms of providing services, uh-huh. providing good uh, good engineering. You've got to be good at your craft. Yeah. That, we all pride ourselves in that. And, yep. and that's just part of education and, and, and learning. 
But you've also got to, got to be able to relate to your client. We're a service business. We don't go talk to the bridge later. We talk to the people that drive over the bridge. And they're the people that want to, and they, we want them to have a good experience. Yeah. The bridge can be the most beautiful structure on earth, but if people drive over it and they don't enjoy it, they're scared or it falls down or whatever, yeah. you're not doing your job. You're not doing your job, yeah. Back to what, you know, where level is right now, that's the part of this culture that's really starting to show through. For me personally and, and the clients I serve and what mm-hmm. I'm doing in terms mm-hmm. of the work I do, whether it's a design. You watch our engineers get together. We get together uh, weekly. But you, you, uh, yeah, I, I did have this engineers coming in from all over the country now, and and just watching how we meet, yeah, weekly, and and they're they're quite surprised well, that, that it's such a share, it's, it's a, a sharing yeah. of information and knowledge every week, because this has no hierarchy. No, that that is so important. Military hierarchy, we've we've taken it, haven't we? We've taken away. Everybody is free to do what they want to do and share work, and there's and share ideas and share knowledge. And the beauty of that is that everyone has respect for each other in it, terms it, of how how you how you do that, and it's respect and how you serve the client. Just like the other day, Stephen and I had a thing, and I afterwards I told he did a wonderful job in talking to the client. Yeah, Stephen's and, doing well. Yeah, and and I said to him, Stephen, you did a great job. And I just sat and listened. I added a few things mm-hmm. from my experience, but I could see here's the growth of a young engineer being able to relate to a client and to present professional and, most importantly, knowledgeable and empathetic yeah. conversation and with the client. why were you there? I was there because I'm part of the team. You're part of the team. Yeah. And so, obviously... And Stephen relies on me to give him knowledge on certain things, but I want to see him grow and learn the stuff that I've learned in the past. Did you guys get to pick each other in this in this model? Well, it was closer. It's actually close to my home, which was good. Physically, it was able to get there. And it, and the other thing is that in the level team, you learn about other people, and you're attracted to certain people in the team in terms of. And my purpose right now in engineering is to help others grow. Yeah. Help young engineers, all, any, anyone that wants to sort of learn so something. So you ch- you choose, you're choosing to mentor because you enjoy it. Oh, yeah. Did the system get in the way of that? Not not level system, no. Not the level system. No. It actually encourages it, it, doesn't it? Oh, of course it does. It, 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 exactly. I mean, you, yeah. you set the model up, Scott. Yeah, yeah. It gives you that freedom, and there's never a think, oh, gosh, can I do it? Can I do this? Is it right? Is it wrong? Or if I do this, uh, you know, where's where's is I'm going to put this on my time card, show my hours, mm. and 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 uh, make sure that's billable time yeah. for my client. Did you have any of those thoughts? Uh, no, not on this on the job. No, I, not I, on the level. I, we don't we, have we, those. We went through and we we carefully Ashley's been involved too. We carefully vetted. What we need to think are reasonable on hours. We went to the client. We went and talked is, about. This is fun. one of the fundamentals when I created this model was that when you keep more of your money as a professional, you keep more of your fair market. Let's say, let's say you're worth 200 bucks an hour, mm-hmm. right? When you're working for a firm, you might get a quarter of that. So the firm's concerned about their 100 and 150 bucks mm-hmm. and make sure they make a, that 150 off of you, mm-hmm. right? So you're you're making your 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 whatever you're making. So your fair market value and what you get 
But when you get most of that $200 an hour in the level system, you actually freed yourself up for not being concerned about the clock. That's right. Because you're keeping most of your money. I did that yesterday. By far. Yeah. And that frees you up to say, I'm not a slave to the clock and the billable time anymore. I can actually spend an extra hour or two with my client and I, I don't suffer and they certainly are rewarded. So you, you, you don't see the, the, the well, it's back to this human factor. When you one, that helps you in terms of the monetary part of it, the business side of it, uh-huh. but also that extra time you put in there because you have more money percentage wise, mm-hmm. you invest it in that relationship. There's no concern about someone saying, well, you shouldn't be talking to the client like that and from, a, from a, say, a big corporate model or whatever it might be. You're totally free to do that. So, yeah. The level model has given you the opportunity, and I don't think there's been a time where someone with, with level has thought, oh, gosh, am I sort of stepping outside my bounds? Because that's why we have our meetings, our weekly discussions and that is what about we talk about. Technical things, we talk about people, we talk about difficult clients, we talk about fun clients. We talk about the things that really keep the the wheels turning. And we coach you as entrepreneurs. So yes. y- y- it's your success, a lot of our time spent in the level system, about learning, mm-hmm. uh, personal improvement, technical improvement, sharing knowledge, collaborating, teaming with others. But you're still, you're still an entrepreneur on your own. Mm-hmm. With all of these these cultures of learning supporting your growth mm-hmm. and your success, that's where the time is spent. And there's level. another element too of engineering in, in its pure sense. In terms of, you, know, you can look at a say a building or a, a multi-span bridge, and it has a technical element to it. You have to be able to solve the mathematics yeah. and structures. Yeah, it has a beauty to it. But there's no difference than going into a house and someone saying, I want to pull that wall out, or it's moving around because it's a failed foundation. Mm-hmm. You still have to use the same knowledge oh, yeah. from a technical standpoint. Oh, yeah. You have to find the folds in the paint on the wall because yeah. the whole house is moving. I did that the other day. Yeah. And yeah. that can be incredibly gratifying in yeah. terms of, it's, it, you know, you don't like to tell the client that you have to spend some money to hold your house up. However, as an engineer, if you can go ahead and find those issues that that client has a concern about it because it's their home. It's their biggest investment. And every one of our clients, it's their biggest investment they could have in their whole lives. Yeah. And when things well, go I, wrong. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something. We're going to transition out of this. But <laughs> the biggest investment, I think, of, I'm pretty sure, and actually, let's do some research. The biggest investment is probably the infrastructure of all of us as taxpayers, yes. not our home. They're actually, we own more in infrastructure than we do in our physical home. So as an owner, if you talk about what you own and have to maintain, mm-hmm. I say it's infrastructure, not your home. You yeah. actually have. But, but most people feel it's their home. They feel it's their home. It, yeah. and, but you're absolutely right, Scott. And this is where level is going to be. We're working diligently on it now is how do we serve the community in that respect? How do we help? All regards. Yes. From, the, from the small project it's all to the way to a major project. highway. Highways, transportation. We, we, we have expertise and, within and, our organization of independence. Oh, yeah. And I want to say that, you know, it's an organization, but what it is is our company. It's our company. It's mm-hmm. 
It's owned and operated and directed by engineers and architects. And there is no motivation other than our own motivation that directs this company. So Mm -hmm. it's very much like an employee-owned company. Mm -hmm. It's our company. Yes. It's not a company that we work for. It's a company that works for the individual members. It's in our purposes. The purpose of this company, the B Corp, the purpose of this company and the board of directors has to comply with this is this is a company that works for the benefit of individual designers. Mm -hmm. That's the only reason this company exists. Yes. That's its only one of its only purposes other than environmental philanthropy is working for the benefit of the individual, not the corporate, the individual design professional. Mm -hmm building systems, building business methodologies, collaborations, learning, creating classes and courses. This is going to be the largest postgraduate learning place for our designers anywhere. And it's a big deal. We're going to be teaching and learning from each other. This will be the biggest education place. It truly is hands-on. It's hands-on, yeah. Because that culture manifests... Growth in all respects. Yeah. From a technical standpoint, from a business standpoint, and from a relationships or, or human or client standpoint. It's those relationships with the clients that, once again, in turn build the excitement of level and LDPI members mm-hmm. to, to grow. Yeah. There's no, there's no blanket. I talked about it before. Or, you know, well, and I want to. I want to say that growing is not the only the only thing. It's to slow down. It's it, in the level ideas. You keep a lot more, most of your money, mm-hmm. most of your fair market value. There isn't a corporate brick and mortar waste profit machine that takes that money. So you keep mm-hmm. you keep most of it, and now you have an opportunity as an individual. To have a balanced life. You may decide to slow down because you're having kids or you have another hobby and you don't lose your job. Uh. You may decide, I, I just kind of want to work 10 hours a week this year and actually explore the world. Yeah. There, nobody's saying no here. Everybody's actually supporting you in that, in your balanced life. And your flexibility. It could be, could be family. It could be kids. It could be maybe you enjoy another uh, business. Mm-hmm. Right, like like we've got Stephen has another, yeah, another business that he enjoys. So, all fits here. But it does, and that in itself gives you a peace of mind, and it really gives you a sense that I'm really accomplishing something here for others. It takes away some of the selfishness, actually. Yeah, yeah, and I think we all try and do that, and and then. We, you talked about the, the simplicity of it actually is really good. We, our our, yeah, life, our a, lives are very, I think we entangle them in lots of messes that we really don't need to. Right. That's, that's a fact. And, and we need to slow them down, make it a little more simple, use a lot more common sense, and we'll do well. So They have a, a common story. Once again, two days ago, an engineer frustrated master's student master's degree 10 years of experience 
the firm is working them 70, 80 hours a week for the last five years, paying him a salary of 40 hours a week. We hear this story everywhere. And he's making uh, in the $70,000 range. It's absolutely got to stop. This is what motivates me. Yeah, It's you, just ridiculous. You do that with level and you make a heck of a lot more money if you're turn, concerned about money. You'll make, a, you'll make a lot if you want to work that much. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you'll have much more financial thriving. But you also have the opportunity, like he said, that I don't have a life. All I do is work. Thank God I enjoy engineering and I enjoy the work because that's my only joy. But, yeah. 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 All right, we're going to talk current events. Now. Yes. What's going on with the uh, President Biden's infrastructure bill? Yes. Let's talk about this. $2 trillion, apparently, trying to get through Congress. It's, it's, it's a lot of money. It's a good thing in that it's going to put people to work. We've talked about this, Scott. The question is, what is the structure and how is it going to benefit? And it goes from the federal level down through the state level down through your counties, municipalities, ultimately down through the individual. What does a $2 trillion infrastructure bill do for everything? You just can't go out there and just start building stuff if you haven't vetted it and you haven't worked it out. That could well be in the works. It could well be, be nicely presented here in the next uh, weeks, months, or whenever the bill gets finally signed and or goes through Congress and then uh, ultimately goes to the president's desk. However... You just can't throw money at something and expect it to work. There's got to be a, a vetted process and one that benefits those communities and that that really do need it. We don't want to shine up something that's already good and needs to go to places where it's, which truly need the money. You're not sure there's a process established yet? We haven't heard from the press. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying I hope there's a process being either established or being established in terms of it's going to the right places. Yeah. There's some talk about the... Um, <laughs> this is this is fast. So, let me just... This comes from NBC. I don't know how accurate it is, but $620 billion into transportation infrastructure, such as, such as bridges, roads, public transit, ports, airports, and electric vehicles. I have a, I have a great concern about our reporting and the accuracy of reporting from... <laughs> Our media. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know if this is accurate, but uh, $400 billion to care for elderly and disabled Americans. That doesn't feel like infrastructure to me. Does that feel like infrastructure to you? No. There's a, you know, they, they talk about there's a $4 trillion economic plan and in terms of, you know, part of it goes to actual infrastructure. Part of it goes to um, health care and that type of thing. We should look at the uh, sort of the breakdown. feels like it's something different. Yeah, infrastructure plan, infrastructure. 2.3 billion. Families plan, 1.8 billion. And of course, in the families plan, there's, there's taxes. We don't, I, you know, I, these education. are all probably great programs. And, and I'm not, and I really don't have a lot of information on it. But do we dilute the importance of infrastructure when we throw these things into an infrastructure bill? Absolutely. There's a fight. You've already developed fighting amongst the different constituents of these plans that want are fighting for the money. They lose. Can't these politicians just just be integrous about well, what they're doing with their funds? Well, they're not, when they're lacking common sense and they're lacking honesty, they're not willing so, to stand something. up. And say, I know something. The infrastructure is a really big deal, and that's what we're, of course that's what we talk about here. Yeah. Why throw that into an infrastructure bill? 
no, there's no need for it. They shouldn't do that because it muddies the waters. It did, can't, can't you just sell it on its own? Yeah, those programs. Yeah, because uh, it, on the infrastructure, infrastructure bill is buildings and utilities, transportation, jobs, innovation, and is in-home care. Now, that can often be related to ADA issues and access and that sort of thing, which is important. However, in-home care, four hundred million dollars does it really too. need to be a separate thing? No, it doesn't. Yeah. The jobs and innovation is a huge part of it because you're wanting to put people to work or give people the opportunity to participate in infrastructure development and infrastructure maintenance. O&M, operation and maintenance, is so- sorely lacking in this type of thing. Yeah, There's many millions of dollars that probably go into, say, new stuff. We said earlier, this is, this is I'm just going to throw this out. We said earlier that over half of the carbon emissions in this world are due to the built world. Mm-hmm. Can you see the the opposing issues here? You're going to throw a bunch of money at the built world. At the same time, you're talking about cleaning up the environment and environmental programs. But we know that more than half of the pollution in this planet comes from building infrastructure, mm-hmm. from building. So building roads. Yeah. They, you know, everything yeah. we, we How use. How does this help the environment? Somebody explain it to me. How does this help the environment? Oh, and the, the sad thing about that is, is it being considered? Probably not. Well, thing- that's what I want to talk about. We don't know how this is going to get doled out. Is this, and it may be, we'll talk about state transportation improvement plans. But the intention of a lot of these projects, and I know you know this, and I know this in history, that a lot of these old plans were heavily weighted on what projects get approved within a state transportation improvement plan can be heavily weighted on environmental benefit. Is that what's going to be in this infrastructure funding? Is it going to be heavy on environmental projects? I'm concerned about that there's environmental concerns primarily due to timeline is they're not vetted appropriately. There's environmental concerns that are absolutely necessary for projects, and there's others that are a bit of a, a bit of fluffy stuff. And you have to be honest about that. There's this two. There's two. Is it going to be? That, del- is this? Is this federal money going to be given to the states to decide their own individual prioritization or importance? Is it environmental? Is it jobs? Is it you know what? Or is it growing bigger highways because they have? Not enough transit, and they've, they're just building capacity. Is it maintenance of existing infrastructure? We don't know, do we? Yeah, and we've talked about maintenance, how important it is about throwing stuff away. It has potential energy that was developed years ago. Yes. You throw it away, yes. and then it has to be reconstituted. That's, and That's thank huge. You. Thank there's, you. Thank you. Thank there's you. two things that, that I think are prevalent in this is the difference between what do you want and what you need. And the other one, and this is more of a political thing, is not who's right, it's what's right. And people can't get out of their own way when it comes to those two things, thinking, this Uh, is really what I need, and what is right, this is what's right for our community. Not whether you're right or not as an individual. And it's that selfishness that that gets in the way of doing these plans. And looking at the breakdown of of the build is, like in transportation, electrical vehicle incentives, What's an electrical vehicle incentive? $174 million. What is an electrical vehicle incentive? 
Is that so people can go spend money on Teslas because they because they're going to get twenty thousand dollars back from the from the government? If that's the case, that's a waste of money. Well, I don't know. I don't. I just don't. We just don't know, and and no. and our media is not telling us, or it's well, actually written. The planners aren't telling us. The plan. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's a plan. Maybe maybe we're just not being told about the plan, or maybe there is no plan at all yet. I don't know. Things like undeserved communities. Well, if, if there's a if there's a community that's been left out all the time, sure, you need to start thinking about uh, those people in those communities that need that. Type currently, of our electric vehicles actually have a higher carbon footprint than our petroleum. Mm-hmm. Of course, they do. Because you have to make them, you have to ship them, you have to do everything. And those to get batteries, them. those batteries yeah. are—they take a lot of carbon fuel to get those those precious metals out of the out of the planet, mm-hmm. and how to how to cook them down to an, uh, an usable usable metal. They're just huge carbon footprints. Our electric vehicles—they yeah. are not—they are not zero emission. No, that's that's a no, marketing that's, that's- ploy. It's the same as electric lawnmower. It's not a zero emission. It's not zero people. emission at all. So right. this money should be going to to actually creating clean energy, not buying electric vehicles, in my mind. That's right. These things have to be vetted. Just don't throw a pot of money at something you think because it sounds good. Does it? Is it truly going to be oh used boy. in the right way? Yeah. <laughs> We're talking American politics. Of course we are. And now and now you're throwing yes. that 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 American politics federal level to the states and who decides the state how it gets distributed is the state politicians and who's not involved is us as citizens. We don't even think about yeah. uh, getting involved in decision making on where the the state transportation improvement dollars go at all. None, See, we're I'll, all oblivious. To I'll it. say this: I mentioned you, Scott. Politics gets you elected. Governance keeps you elected. And unfortunately, a lot of our public service providers—I'll say that—unfortunately—are <clears throat> so concerned about maintaining their job as a public servant or as an elected official, uh-huh. as opposed to being honest and truthful and facing up to the fact that maybe if you do, if people don't like your decision and you don't get reelected, so be it. But at least you're being honest to yourself and doing good for your community. Let's do that. Yeah. Well, let's talk about how you do that is mm-hmm. the next layer of decision-making, mm-hmm. which is our staffs that are engineers and designers, our state engineer's offices, mm-hmm. our Department of Transportation leadership, our transit leaderships. Those are engineers and designers and planners that are actually us as professionals are the ones giving guidance to our politicians about how to use this. And there's committees and there's public hearings where these leaders, these, these technical people that are, that are us, they're engineers and designers, planners that are informing these committees about how to use these dollars. And that's where I'm inviting the public to go to those meetings yes. and get involved. Because it's actually the decision-making isn't at your congressman. It isn't at your politician. It's actually your staffs, engineers and designers and planners that are informing. And they're having a hard time convincing the politicians to do the right thing. And that is purely up to the, the political arena to look at that and say, okay, I need knowledge and that so I can transfer it or give that out to my constituents. And if they're unwilling 
to take that, in many respects, leadership and guidance from the technical, from the staff, from the engineers, the planners, the architects, whoever's involved in that, then they're missing, they're missing out on the opportunity to really do their job, provide service. There is nothing. I've been in these positions where your staff are informing your elected body. There's nothing sadder than nobody from the public going to these meetings. Oh, it is it's terrible. Yeah, because it, there's, there's no. It's so defeating as American. Mm-hmm. That, that, that these are such important, huge decisions for these communities and these states at the federal level, and there's no participation, and that's where the decisions are being made. It's hugely saddening for me when I'm in those meetings that there's there's no public. Yeah, because the pub, when the public participates, then they get knowledge and start to understand the process, and they help the, they help their representatives. That's exactly, and then they come around, and then they come back. See, there has to be a certain amount of time for the public, like as you mentioned before, about the biggest thing you own is your infrastructure around you, your taxes you pay yes. to keep that going every year until the yeah. If you're you're wondering what how you can participate and how you can actually get a voice heard you have to go and it's actually quite fun it's it's not like drudgery it is quite fun to get involved in your oh, community yeah. or state level as as a citizen and voicing your opinion they have open mics in all these meetings usually oh, yeah. and just voice your opinion regarding the major decision that your representatives are making regarding your life yeah, because you, you, you'll, you'll learn knowledge about it, and you might be vehemently opposed to something. However, it, it, you can do that. It's a free country. You can do that. But in turn, you, then you'll get feedback from others that say might like this particular yeah. a, a improvement or whatever it is, a new yeah. waterline, a roundabout, a traffic signal, or a road, or whatever. Transit, yeah. It, it, transit, exactly. Things that, that matter to your everyday life. Yeah. So... These funds are coming out. We don't quite understand how they're going to get uh, managed. Uh, I'm, we're going to find out, right? Yep. It sounds are. like they're probably going to pass something. It's probably going to go to the states, and the state transportation improvement plans uh, will follow the federal priorities. I remember a lot of these plans used to be priority given to matching dollars. If a local project could match dollars, mm-hmm. that, that gave them more likelihood to capture some of these federal funds. So maybe that's it. So we actually might, that would be interesting. This might not be a $2 trillion project. You know, only 20% of our infrastructure is federally owned. 80% is locally owned. So these these monies will be trickling down and going to these local. Mm -hmm. It would be really interesting that if there was matching dollars and actually this is more like a $3 trillion infrastructure with matching local dollars. And the other thing, consideration has to be given to those communities that are sometimes unable to match. Because some communities have income, have good stream of income. Mm-hmm. Typically, you know, a more wealthier community, that, that income is very... You want a social program for infrastructure, Murray? Yeah. <laughs> but but there, has oh, to be some, there has to be some consideration given to those areas that, that are forever applying and are unable to capture some uh-huh. of these federal dollars. Yeah. You have to give some consideration to those communities that have, have a difficulty going ahead and, and getting local funds are, for whatever reason. And I, I think uh, I love this. The it has old, to be fair. It yeah. has to be fair. And you don't have to just hand stuff out. 
do it in a responsible and thoughtful manner. But if, if some community is unable to capture funds because they're forever trying to get to that level of participation, give them an opportunity to perhaps participate or, or, or help them out. This is respect. actually more important than, than – uh, glad you brought this up because I didn't think of this. A lot of our industrial communities are suffering from job loss, deteriorated inner cities, deteriorated infrastructure because they can't fund it anymore. Mm. And there's actually – the hope is – is, is really getting squeezed out of some of these small communities because their jobs are gone, mm-hmm. their industry's gone. These communities do need an influx of money and jobs to start maintaining their home cities. Yeah, Should that be a focus? I was thinking of Denver right now, the metropolitan area. It's Denver. Very, talk, about, talk about those cities in, in Indiana, Ohio, Detroit. Uh, exactly. I was going to get get to those. Okay. Denver as a model is very fortunate right now. Very fortunate. Because yes. people love it. And there's been an integration of people and money yeah. and, and, and demographics. The, the whole demographics of, demographics of Denver is changing because people are coming to the city. Yeah. And prices of housing that are astronomical in terms of what used to be 20 years ago. Right. That – that process in itself helps what we were just talking about. However, you're right. You go back to the Midwest, Indiana, and Michigan, and Pennsylvania, and those places that these towns oh, are the dying. The hope is the hope is just draining it's, out yeah. of them. Yeah. And people are leaving and wondering, how can you use some of this money to both to infuse it in terms of to physically improve the infrastructure? And the other thing is to give an jobs. emotional lift. Create jobs, too. To, to pe- exactly. Yeah. You create tr- trade. You, create you think that's in here? I think there is. There's jobs and innovation. There's quite a bit of money going to jobs and innovation. Let's, uh, let's watch how that shakes out. Yes. Let's watch how that shakes out. Things like supply chain support, hugely important right now because mm-hmm. we're, we, you can't buy a bicycle because they can't get it off the boat in L.A. and get it to Denver. This sort of thing. Yeah. I hope, I hope there's a heavy weighting on um, sharing. This is not $2 trillion in the local contribution bumps this up to three trillion dollars because that goes into creating jobs there's a lot of debate whether these programs create jobs or not but remember denver metro and how bad things were economically and then dia came do you remember that Mm -hmm. everybody got a job at dia building denver international airport and it bolstered a dead and dying economy and turn the whole area around yeah. that infrastructure project whenever somebody says well infrastructure just takes money away from the business people and i go no i re- i actually live this the infrastructure monies and the recirculation of dollar creates more economy you can put a dollar in and get two dollars of economy back out of that taxpayer money mm-hmm. To me, it's economically, I'd rather put a dollar into the U.S. infrastructure than a dollar into a bomb oh, that, yeah. that blows up and gets wasted. That's that's our taxpayer money going out of the system. Mm-hmm. We may need those bombs. I'm not saying that. But from a dollar standpoint, economic standpoint, we've taken our resources and put it outside of the boundaries. These dollars stay in our system, Right. 
No, just looking at the. the Do you remember DIA and how that? Oh, it, it's amazing. <laughs> amazing. And everyone's like, why, why would you put an airport? You know, it's thirty miles away. Well, now we see why because that thirty miles is being filled in with this, yeah. housing and and mixed use and hotels and everything else. Yeah. Um, it, it, it reads some of the thing, water systems imp- improvements, eliminate mm. lead pipes, affordable housing, broadband. And I say broadband. Broadband is hugely important to get it to communities. Whether, whether it's indigenous peoples, reservations, getting to people that don't have internet service now. That's where the money needs to go. I'm not sure what this expanding broadband is about. I, I, I think it, it's about, well, it's, it's probably lobbied by the, um, the different companies. However, the money needs to go to where it's truly needed. This is why you need to vet this. You don't worry about putting 5G throughout, for example, Aurora. What about out in... In Eastern Colorado, do they have yeah. good broadband service so the kids can at least, if they have to be at home, can can get an education? Yeah. yeah. Go, same with the mountains. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's people in Our the mountains areas, that are hungry yeah. and don't have a place to live. It's too. not the first time that that the urban areas paid for electricity to the rural areas. No, it's that's it never made. You, 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 you can't be selfish with this. You have to. Yeah. Let's give it up first, and then you'll get it in return later. Yeah. Tax rate, corporate tax rate goes up twenty eight percent to fund this. Not sure that's needed, but if you're going to create jobs, don't you create more more revenue, and then you create more? Well, you're going to you're going to put a lot of people to work, and they're going to have skilled positions, and they're going to create tax revenue, aren't yes, they? Of course, they're. If they have, have, have good income, they're going to go yeah. spend it, and your sales tax is going to be— We're getting into politics. <laughs> well, but it, it, yeah. it, it's, it's a source of money. How do you— Yeah, Because right. right now, communities that rely heavily on sales taxes can't do anything. Yeah. Those that, that are relying on other, other sources of revenue are doing well because they have that continual stream, during, yeah. especially during COVID. How about we do this? When these dollars come out, when this thing is— or Let's get our uh, state, state people— to come to this and tell us the details of it. Yeah. The details of the plan. We'll complete this question. Yes. I think it's really important that um, our listeners hear how these dollars are disseminated, how decisions are made, and uh, the priorities that come. Some are going to be very, very uh, make a lot of sense. Some won't. Yeah. Some won't. Well, it'd also be interesting to watch the behavior of the architecture engineering profession. With these monies, how are corporations? Are they going to focus on this is a big pot of money, and I can go build this really cool thing and make a whole bunch of money and continue my thing, or are they going to look at it as here's an opportunity? Yeah, and and level provides an opportunity to individuals, and and we're we're growing, we're growing in terms of we service a lot of residential clients now. We're going to be service. Well, we'll be in DOT too. Yeah, yeah. D- DOTs. Districts, infrastructure, water. Is, yeah, is you'll, a focus. Be, you'll be in the water. Yeah, you'll be in the water group. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, let's report back on this when we get some details. Uh, I, the media isn't, uh, again, quite telling the story. Um, I would assume that what they what they're given here is what they've been given from the um, from the White House from Biden because this was initially developed by him. This is what he wants to do. Now, of course, it's going to be vetted and go through Congress and all that from a political viewpoint, mm-hmm. but it, it's got to be vetted and understood well, by the by our profession. Yeah. And his leadership for the infrastructure comes from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see if there's some 
personal experience brought to the plan from the Midwest struggles. Yes. Yeah. But, all right. We're supposed to be talking about, historically, the Americas. Mm-hmm. And we're talking about 1600s to 1610 in the final parts of our episode here. And interesting and violent again. Well, you're starting to get a, you know, a much greater influx of people from Europe and that coming into the Americas. Certainly, the indigenous population shrunk as a result of disease and conflict. And now you're getting people coming in that have the idea, oh, what do the Americas have to offer? What, what does America have to offer for me? And individuals come, and a, and a mixture of those are those that are somewhat timid, and those that are certainly entrepreneurs that go out there and thinking, this is a place I can, I can either farm or I can build a community. I can be a leader, whether it's from— You, a, you wonder, you'd like to interview these characters that— Oh, it'd be great. —came over— um, yeah. How was the boat ride? <laughs> with, —With John Smith, yeah. Yeah. Is the British Commission, John Smith, to head over, but I think like 130 people or something. Most of them died in the first year. And how does how how did infrastructure come about, and what happened in those times? Well, it was primarily you know focused around um, rivers, ports, this type of thing. In terms of which was not unlike what the indigenous peoples had. However, it certainly wasn't a a blending of of populations or ideas. And ideas an idea with an R it's in Southland, New Zealand. That's what I say. <laughs> <laughs> but um, my dad would say that idea. Um, <laughs> And, and then I was doing some little bit of research and the arts and the entertainment and theaters and things like that started to grow up there because people wanted to sort of bring over their pleasures as well as the opportunity to work and grow in whatever type of life they wanted in this incredible country when, when there were essentially very few people here. Yeah. So right around this 1600 time is um, early 1600s. There's this character called John Smith and he was basically in leading armies in Europe with some battles. But he did come over or sent over, was it Queen Elizabeth had passed during this period? Elizabeth the first. I the think. first had yeah. passed. And then uh, new leadership for Britain came pretty aggressive and commissioned Mr. Smith, because he was a great warrior, to, to go over there and start building some colonies and so he you know he does he does he does that and then he sets up Jamestown in this period. Mm-hmm. The Chesapeake Bay of Virginia, right? Promptly, this is what struck me is promptly, almost half of them die from bad drinking water. He finds that there's about 200 different tribes in the fingers of the Chesapeake Bay. 200. Well, they're polluting the river, these Native Americans, right? And he's at the bottom of it. And they're drinking the water. <laughs> bad, bad water right out of the gate. Mm-hmm. From what? Human waste, mm-hmm. probably, right? Yeah, human waste, potentially, you know, animal waste as well. GRE yep. was probably around then too. Right. Um, right. But then there's someone coming in unknowing to what was there or, or unwilling to learn. Mm-hmm. So clean water right out of the gate. Problem. Indigenous peoples knew how to handle it, knew what they were doing, yeah. knew where they were with respect to others. Yeah. And that was never that consideration wasn't given when, when the Europeans colonized and that and came in. Yeah. They, they didn't care. They said, no, I'm just going to go right. kill and conquer here. Right. Well, right. sometimes that doesn't work. He maps the Chesapeake Bay area 
technology-wise, using surveying equipment. So this is the first decent map of the Americas was generated by Mr. James. Technology-wise, this is the first surveying-related equipment to create a map that really was accurate, they say, for 50 years after that mm-hmm. was in use. I think that's fascinating. The guy starts actually bringing surveying technology yeah. to civil. Civil surveying is one of our infrastructure yeah. basic toolkits, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is. And, and as an engineer, we always have this inherent desire to say, okay, where am I? You know, how, how, Whose property am I on? Yeah, whose property am I on? Where I'm in with respect to 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 the rest of the world, right? And that that of course was totally established in Europe and England. Yep. And everyone sort of knew where they were, and you, you can't just build a building here because someone else owns. Well, that the land. Romans, you know, had really all that European. I mean, it goes back to the Romans, Egyptians yes. and Persians, and and mm-hmm. all those, yeah. And all that came to a country that functioned on, in many ways, goodwill. Yeah. And th- you yeah. think about it. Yeah, it functioned more on that with respect for others and what they did. Of course, there was conflict within the indigenous peoples. However, in general, and the United States and Canada are so darn big, you didn't get in each other's way very often. Right. Or you could avoid each other. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, someone comes in here with the idea that, okay, I'm going to go, I want to live here. I, I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about necessarily, or maybe I'm, I'm I don't, I'm not concerned about those that already live here. I'm going to do this. Yeah, I think it's I think it's fascinating that that this survey is the first time really that it was done well. Mm. He checked his latitude on his mapping um, with uh, you know old quadrant device. They could use basically determining latitude. So this, there was a lot of other surveys going on, but they weren't they weren't true with latitude. So this was the first mapping mm. that was actually latitudely scaled okay. correctly. Mm-hmm. And speed of his ship. So yeah, it's a pretty damn good map. And it's the first time this occurred. He, he sailed right up into Chesapeake and yeah. he surveyed off up in the rivers and the okay. tributaries and he mapped that and yeah. up from the water. Well and yeah, and, 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 he, and some ground surveys. Yeah, and ground surveying. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. it's a Chesapeake in those times would have been very inaccessible by land in many respects because of the coastline and the forest. Yeah, not so much. There was 200 tribes in there. Okay. With so trails systems. And trails and trading systems. And, 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 was, and a certain amount of agriculture that had cleared the land. Yeah, and, there was a lot of actually human beings there, indigenous. So, yeah, interesting. Uh, indigenous metals, they actually brought chemists from Europe, scientists on this boat, and they were playing with metallurgy in the Jamestown 1610 era. Hmm. They were trying to figure out if any of these metals were different or usable that could benefit them for taking back to Europe. Glass, chemistries, metallurgy was the first time was in our country. Hmm. 1610. Yeah. Oh, the old Pocahontas story with Mr. Smith occurred during this time, too. Where she essentially saved his life? Yeah, that's what they say, because the wars were getting bigger with the uh, Europeans coming over. Not a lot else happens here other than, you noted earlier, and I think it's worth meriting, that the death of tens of millions of indigenous peoples caused a climate change. I'd mentioned a couple of podcasts ago that there was a, yeah, because of the loss of life. Yeah. And, and, and 
it was actually a loss of the uh, a need for agriculture and, and clearing. So because 95%, which could have been as many as 50 million or more, people perished because of conflict, because of disease, those forests and that grew back. And forests, of course, trees have an, a great ability to consume carbon dioxide and uh, give out oxygen, of yep. course. And in that consuming the carbon dioxide, this is an English study, they said that in the period of essentially the 1500, mm-hmm. which is just after Columbus arrived, all the way up until close to 1600, maybe late 1500s, there was a, a decrease in temperature of they estimated of around 0.15 degrees Celsius. And the world population at that time was around half a billion. And, and this is this this, this just yeah. in the America and the Americas had anywhere from sixty to a hundred million people in the Americas, all the way from Chile all up to top of Alaska. Right, it's a major main primary concentration around north end of South America, Central America, and and quite a few parts of the United States as we know it today, with population of around the the Mississippian peoples in the Central U.S. were around. 20,000 or so just in that one community itself. But anyway, they, those people's those people perished as a result of conflict and disease. Yep. The forest mm-hmm. grew back. Mm-hmm. It was a mini ice age, as this study calls it. This is when the mini ice age started. Yeah, they, they, they thought so they, the, they estimated, and there's, there's some disagreement to this study, but, sure. but it does make sense that all of a sudden there's no people there. Yeah, and nature starts taking its way of growing back forest, decreasing the amount of carbon dioxide emissions, or, or decreasing the or in, increasing the ability to consume carbon dioxide, which in turn resulted in a, in a slight reduction in, their, in the temperature of the earth. Sixteen oh eight was a very rough winter, and Jamestown Fort had burned down, and mm-hmm. that climate change wiped Jamestown. Yes. Many of them, the ones that had died, most of them had died from bad water and disease, and the winter took the vast majority of the rest out that winter. Uh, yeah. It's a tough, tough winter in these 1600s due to that. Yeah. We, yeah, studies we, suggest it, it was due to that. That's right. And, and it was, we know just from living 40 years here in Denver, there's some winters are just absolutely miserable. I remember days of two weeks of yeah. 20, 20 degrees below oh, zero yeah. in Denver right. way back in the 80s. And now if we get a 20 below day in Denver, I mean, it's like the ice age has returned. Yeah. <laughs> and and there are anom- anomalies in, in, in climate through the years. But the interesting thing is that human colonization does have huge impacts socially environmentally and in our case and from an infrastructure standpoint yeah is how what was here before and the sad thing about it in many respects it was never taken into account because of people that sometimes come in and colonize places they're not interested in seeing well what worked previous that that never went through their mind no they were they know better <laughs> yeah suppose they did well maybe maybe not <laughs> this relates to systems to me, it relates to systems where the Europeans, the kings and queens had really conquered their area and they got comfortable with that they, they knew what they were doing. I'm going to relate it to the business structures today and they're getting antiquated. The old ideas change slow. Business, old business models change slow. 
the hierarchies of creating structures to make money is the only reason for a business to operate is an old idea. Mm-hmm. And the B corporations is actually up and coming. Free, free thinking, independence, B corporations is actually the future of how we're going to work. And the just working for making a dollar for a corporate is antiquated. So as England sends over, uh, we know how to do this, sends it over to it into a new era or a new place, it doesn't work anymore. No. It doesn't work anymore. No, and, and to add to your, our modern-day corporate structure and what Level and LDPI is offering or is modeling or is developing a culture for, and that is you're providing an opportunity for others to do work in a different way. Yeah. And if that opportunity isn't driven by, by money or greed or power, then you're going to see a much greater return on that effort later than you'll ever see if you go ahead and develop purely on greed and power and money. Because you will feel and enjoy the joy of others that are learning the system, yeah. and they in turn will, will, will pass it on to someone else. And that culture will grow to the point that that money is very important. That's why we do stuff. So we have to we have to go buy groceries or buy a car or whatever, or or get pay pay your train ticket. Human, yeah. And and to do that though, if you if you look at it from an attitude of diversity and how you do your work. And not being encumbered by someone who thinks that, that that essentially wants to have money for reasons other than just they don't care about others or they're just greedy or whatever it might be. You can have money and make good money and, and still have other things. Oh, is our point. It, it, it's not second. <laughs> it, it actually becomes very, very obvious that you're doing very well. Yeah, but it wasn't it wasn't the initials thought that got you there yeah there was yeah. other ways of getting there and it just happens to be a byproduct of smart business humans can adapt jamestown will change in the next year they will adapt to their environment mm-hmm. and they will thrive jamestown will thrive and the european technologies in the next 100 years 1600s will take foothold after the people adapted to their environment Mm -hmm. and the adaption and the environment or change is what we're up to at LDPI. We're adapting to the modern future. We're adapting to the needs of your, of your, of those that you provide the service to. And that's the people. That's the people. We're going back to the people, not to the corporate money-making. We're going back to working with and for people. Yeah. That's what we're, that's, we're going back to it. And that will grow maybe from an individual homeowner into a quasi-municipal thing like a water district, a water and sewer district. Larger, was, even larger projects. Yeah, exactly. yeah. You keep going bigger and bigger because people start seeing Team, those, yeah. those clients, those future clients are starting to start to see how this model works. Because you can group together, form a team. And then you can go ahead and disband and continue doing other things. Yes. And you can come back together later. Yes. You're back to working for people and you're working for communities from small to large projects, highly efficient, agile teams that are using modern technologies to be efficient mm-hmm. 
and market themselves. And they're actually quite, you're working with people that are thriving. So it's a different experience than people that are, are unhappy in a, in the greed well, system. Yeah. Every, everyone truly in the LDPI and level engineering model has a purpose. Everyone can see their purpose. They can see their relationship to the team mm-hmm. because they're all at, at, at essentially yeah. the same level. Yeah, no one's overshadowing anyone. Anyone else? We we took out the World War II military hierarchy. Yeah, um, yeah. So that that's not in the business model, and that in itself demands accountability. And then that's personal accountability because we're all individuals working for the company. So and we're professionals. This is a group of professionals. Well, sure, we are. So you don't necessarily need the the hierarchy to, to deliver a product yeah, as much yeah. as other businesses. But well, we see the value in, in making the business successful because there's a, a great return on it. Yeah. Right. And, the, and that client will come back and want additional services. Yeah. Well, next time let's talk about how Jamestown adapts mm-hmm. and other colonies start coming. Yeah. The adaption of previous knowledge to a new environment and new opportunity Again, at the expense of the Native Americans, but in some way, it's a human path similar to the change we're working on in LDPI, the adaptation to new technologies, new possibilities, and really the old ways of working for people again, utilizing our new environment of the cloud and technologies. You You brought up a very good, important word, I think, Scott, and that was agile. Agile. We're an agile company, and we're yep. using technology to the fullest because it's here. It's here to stay. Yeah. And we have to do that so we can be yep. efficient in what we do. And we would create an environment. All our young and upcoming engineers, architects, contractors, designers, planners all embrace technology from the day that they're born. And 80% of our – well, I love that you brought that up. May I close on this? Is 80% estimated in five years will be – uh, of the millennial generation, and there, which is very familiar and comfortable with technologies and younger, right? Uh, but we still have in our group, our level design community is our knowledge of our, our, our semi-retired and, tri- and retired engineers are part of this community, sharing their knowledge back to the youngsters. So mm-hmm. even though technologies is not really uh, in their world, but they have the knowledge, and there, so that old world knowledge that's being put on this ship called Level Design Partners, mm-hmm. and it's traveling over the ocean, and the new youngsters that are taking the ship and adapting to the new environment. Mm-hmm. Well, they're they're helping us. They're helping us. Yeah, because I, I I'm embracing technology because it's it's fun, but I'm, I've got limited <laughs> abilities in some respects. It's hard work. But every one of the young engineers that are just so helpful. Uh, one thing I add real quickly, and we can talk about this next week or ne- next podcast. I had a wonderful conversation with a, a client I had earlier this week, a young millennial gentleman who just turned 30 the day before their client meeting. And he started the business during COVID, did so well. He's selling it and starting another business now. Yeah, And he said he was the worst university student that he could ever be. But here's someone that has an absolute passion about it. And one of his biggest concerns, and this is going to be a fun topic talking about this, is that because of the social structure during COVID mm-hmm. and because of the unemployment and the stimulus checks, he's worried from a personal standpoint that when millennials get into 
positions of responsibility and down the road, he will have a lot of population that people that don't have skills because they're, they've been at home in some ways not working and building on their skills because of the benefits, the financial benefits of the stimulus packages. And it's just a, it's an interesting hmm. concept, especially yeah. hearing it from, from a, a millennial. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. yeah. And I can I can see that. Now, you know, yeah, I'll be very respectful of everything that certainly that, that our federal government and state governments have done to help during these tough times. But it's an interesting perspective coming from a truly an entrepreneur right. that started businesses mm-hmm. during these difficult times. But yeah. Well, the pandemic COVID generation will be talked about for a long time. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's gonna have impact. All right. Wonderful. Thank you, Murray. Thank All you, right. Scott. Great conversation. We'll go uh, about our way and we'll see you in a week. Yeah. All right. This podcast is a part of Foundation for Open Conversation regarding the A&E industry. In future episodes, we'll discuss the realities of the industry today and what the future may look like. It is our belief that positive changes for architects and engineers is not the obligation of the industry, but rather your choice to reimagine how we work together. We invite you to join us in creating a world in which design professionals thrive. Get involved by joining our email newsletter where you'll get information not found anywhere else. Go to leveldesignpartners.com to sign up. If you found value in this episode, support us by sharing it with someone or leaving a review. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts and we'll talk to you next time.